Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. <laughs> well, hello everyone. Uh, my name is Anna. I am the creative pastor here, uh, along with my husband Ben. And our Easter series is on earth as it is in heaven. And, um, you know, today is Palm Sunday. And um, if you're not sure what Palm Sunday is, well, you came to church, um, which is great because I'm going to talk about Palm Sunday. So in about 20 minutes time, you'll, you should know what Palm Sunday is. But um, our main takeaway for this series is that we can understand that Jesus, he didn't just come to save humanity but to establish his kingdom rule on earth. And I pray that as we go through um, this series and even next weekend with our Passover gatherings and we have our Good Friday and our Easter Sunday service, I pray that we as Christians, whether you've been walking with the Lord for not a long time or a very long time, that we would just be in wonder and awe of the majesty and might of Jesus Christ. So, you know, Jesus, he's not just your friend. He's not just our fall guy who will take the blame, who we can just, you know, he'll he'll happily do that time and time again. Jesus is king. And I'm going to talk about the day Jesus was inaugurated king in the scriptures. Come on, let's pray. Father God, I thank you, Lord. Thank you for today. We praise you and thank you that you are a loving God. And I just pray that as we dive into the scriptures today, that you would open up our hearts and open up our minds to the truth of your word. Speak to us, Lord. We are here. We are listening. We are ready to worship you as we read and as we study the scriptures today. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go to Mark 11, verse 1. Also, notice how we've gotten rid of the big round semicircle. We've made a bit more room. We told the band, we're like, guys, you don't need that much space. Actually, it was more like they were telling me, Anna, you don't need that much space. I was like, okay. But yes, so I have like a, what's it called? Like a spit guard here. So it's all right. It's all right that nobody's in the front row. That's okay. (laughs) Here we go. Let's dive into the script. Just Jackie. Thanks, Jackie. You're taking taking it for everybody. We appreciate you, Jackie. All right, verse one, let's dive in. I'm reading in the ESV. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and he said to them, go into the village in front of you. And immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt, a young donkey, tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. He's just borrowing the donkey. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said and they let him go. And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches, palms, and they had that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Church, can you say Hosanna in the highest? Hosanna in the highest. 
Nice. I didn't even have to ask you a second time. That was good. It had oomph. Good job. So up until this point, you know, we've, we've studied and we've recounted stories of Jesus performing many miracles over the past couple of weeks, months. You know, from miraculous healings, he's cast out demonic spirits. He's told storms to stop just by going, shh, no more. And he's, he's done incredible things. So in the passage that we've just read in Mark, what's the miracle here? What's the ooh and ah moment? Was it the fact that they went to uh, like they went to take a donkey and, and when they were asked, like, what are you doing with my donkey? They were like, Jesus was going to borrow it. And they were like, okay, like, is that the oon ah moment? They didn't have to fill out like a, like a Hertz, like rental form or anything. The guy was just like, just take the donkey, go. But there is so much going on in this passage that we can just easily miss. There is so much going on when we consider the cultural climate, the context behind the scripture. So there are some amazing things to highlight that I'm going to highlight. You know, the fir- this is the first time, number one, this is the first time Jesus has allowed people to publicly praise Him as the Messiah. He enters Jerusalem. This is a huge parade that is taking place for Jesus. You know, prior to this, whenever Jesus performed a miracle or did anything that only the Son of God could do, only someone who was sent by God could do, He would tell whoever was with Him, whoever had just witnessed healing or people coming back to life or whatever, He would be like, don't tell nobody what you saw. He told them to keep it to Himself. And some of them did. Some of them They were so ecstatic about what they had just witnessed and experienced. They would run back to town and blab, everybody, I'm healed. And then what would we see in the scriptures? The crowds would come because they wanted to see the healer. So this is the first time Jesus allowed people to publicly praise him as Messiah. The second is the crowd treated him as king and Messiah. In 2 Kings 9.13, it says, then in, every, uh, then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps. And they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. What this scripture tells us is contextually, the anointed king, the champion riding into the capital, this is the response people would make. This is what they would do for royalty, for the anointed king, for the hero, the saviour. They would lay down their cloaks, they would lay down their palms, they would make a red carpet ushering in the hero. You know, in Mark 11, 9 to 10, as Jesus rides into Jerusalem, the people, they're crying out, Hosanna, which is a Hebrew word for save us. This is the same Hebrew word that is used in Psalm 118, verses 25 to 26. Save us. We pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. The third is Jesus' arrival fulfills an Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. In Mark 11, 2, when Jesus rides in on a donkey, he's fulfilling Zechariah 9, 9, which says, Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. 
Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your King comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. You know, what's incredible about this scene is that there's no citywide announcement made. They didn't schedule this day. This is the day that we've programmed as a city that Jesus is going to come in. We're going to make a big parade, celebrate. They didn't, they didn't make little Israeli flags to wave Jesus down with as he entered Jerusalem. All Jesus organised was borrowing a donkey. And yet the city erupts in celebration by their own free will. They're welcoming the hero, the king, the liberator that they have been waiting for, for centuries. They have been waiting for centuries and they are freaking out because this is the generation that is finally going to experience firsthand the power of the mighty conqueror, the king, the saviour has come. They would be flipping out. You know, for anyone who is familiar with the life of Jesus, let's pretend that everything we know about Jesus, we only know up to this point. We don't know what's coming after. Let's just pretend. So if we were reading Mark 11 for the very first time, hearing this story, we would all feel a sense of relief because finally the hero of the story, Jesus, is getting the recognition he so rightly deserves, right? The people are finally acknowledging him as the son of God. About time. But here lies the problem. The people were welcoming a king, yes. But the king of a kingdom that many of them and many of us are ignorant of. See, the the people of Jerusalem, they were heralding a king in the hopes of returning Israel to its former glory, to its heyday. When they were large and in charge, they were crying out, save us, Hosanna! for someone to save them from their physical situation, a political leader, maybe even a violent social reformer that just had the gall, the boldness to be able to overthrow and take on the oppressors of their time, which was the Roman Empire. Finally, the Jews were celebrating because here is the guy, the king, that's gonna deal with the Gentiles. The non-Jews, the people not like us, the people who have been infiltrating our way of life. And this is why Jesus made such an effort to keep his identity private until this moment. Because they were ignorant of why he really came. Luke 9.10 says to seek and save the lost. Luke 10.9 and John 18.36 says to establish the kingdom of God. And what I find so interesting is that Jesus, in line with Zechariah 9.9, he does something countercultural. And rather than ride in on a mighty war horse, you know, on a beautiful steed, in my head, I, I imagine like a big white horse. For, for some reason, it's like encrusted with gold. I don't know how they did that. He's got a chariot. It's, it's magnificent. That's what we'd imagine a, a king, right, who would command authority and power to come in riding in. You'd be like, this guy, he knows. He's got resources. I can trust him. But what does he do? He rides in on a baby donkey. 
literally a steed fit for a child. A steed fit for a hobbit. Y'all know I love my Lord of the Rings references. Y'all know I love my Lord of the Rings references. But the prophecy had it written so plainly. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey. The prophecy made it obvious and yet the people only saw what they wanted. And Jesus wanted to make it clear. He does not fit into the world's categories of kingship. And yet he is both majesty and meekness. You know, what Jesus has come to liberate the people from, to free us from, it goes way deeper than the surface level of politics and earthly kingdoms. He has come to overturn something way bigger than that, death itself. Now, if I could just talk to the Christians in the room, just a sec. Some of us still live like every day is Palm Sunday. What does that mean? We cry out to Jesus, Hosanna, save me. Which, let me make it clear, is not a bad thing to do. It is absolutely not a bad. It's a very, very good thing to do to cry out to Jesus when you're in need. Absolutely. Even when you're not in need because you love Jesus, cry out to Him. But then as the days, months, years, decades of being a Christian go by, of crying out, We get frustrated at God, we get frustrated at the church, we get frustrated at ourselves because very little changes in our lives or very little changes in us because He is not the King of our lives. We cry out desperately for salvation, but we refuse to walk, live and abide under His kingship. We refuse to change and actually follow after Jesus. So we keep sinning, we keep gossiping, we remain unforgiving, we pull people down, we lack grace, mercy, patience, understanding for one another. And then we continue to beg and beg and beg, Jesus, save me from my problems. Not them though, just me. So when I was a kid, I know this feels like a very violent pivot. But when I was a kid, I was fat. I was a fat kid. I wasn't just chubby. I wasn't big boned. People would always say that you're just big boned. No, I was fat, okay? I was a fat kid. I was a big girl, okay? And my neighbours, they used to invite me over. In fact, I was so big that when I finally lost the weight, people had thought I'd left my church that I was growing up. They're like, where is that girl? And I'm like, I'm right here. And they're like, oh. That's how big I was. That's how drastic my transition was. So the reason why I got fat was because my neighbours, my, my neighbours used to invite me over for dinner most weeknights. And I would lie to my parents and I would have dinner with my neighbours and then I'd come home and have dinner with my family. So that's how I got fat. You know, you, you, and you didn't want to be there in the house when um, my parents found out that I was eating two dinners. Like, of all the bad things a kid could get up to in Western Sydney, eating two dinners was a big sin. 
in my Spanish Filipino house. And the thing with Filipinos, let me tell you, let me warn you, is that they will tell you straight up if you're fat, if you've got a lazy eye, if you've got an interesting looking mole, they will just tell you. And the thing is, it's not to offend you. It's, it's actually an endearing thing. Doesn't make sense to me, but it's an endearing thing. So growing up, you know, I got fat and I was told, wow, you're getting big. And I'm like, yes, thank you, Tita. Correct. <laughs> and so for a while, for a while, I, I, I would pray every night to God. I'd be like, God, save me. If you're real, if you love me, when I wake up in the morning, make all my fat disappear. <laughs> and there was no fat-burning miracles that occurred overnight. No divine lipo. And it didn't matter how much I prayed to God to save me from my oppressive fat. Pressing me because I refused to change. I wanted to keep eating two dinners. So I remained the same. And in a very similar way, we can pray and pray and beg God to save us from our physical problems, our earthly problems, and He might miraculously answer your prayers. I have no doubt in my mind that God can perform those miracles. Absolutely, no doubt in my mind. But we cannot be disappointed if the prayers remain unanswered for as long as we refuse to change and follow in the way of Jesus. For Jesus to be our King, we have to follow in His way and His rule. If we allow Jesus to be our saviour, save me, and our king, John 1.14 says, and the word became flesh. He's talking about Jesus. The word became flesh. So if we'd allow the word to transform our worldview, to transform us from the inside out, allow us to renew our minds we will begin to see the world as Jesus sees it, on earth as it is in heaven. We will begin to respond to the world as Jesus would would respond, on earth as it is in heaven. We will begin to understand His redemptive plan for you, for me, for everybody. Amen. 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen people. Turn to your neighbour, say, You are chosen. Amen. You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His wonderful light. God has called us out of darkness into His wonderful light, into His kingdom so that we can be a wonderful light unto others. So that through us and by the power of the Holy Spirit, our loved ones who don't know Jesus, who don't walk in the freedom that was bought for them, can experience the love of Christ. You know, I'm so encouraged by that video we just watched of um, the church in Ukraine. Here they are in the middle of a war zone. They've stayed behind. And what do they do? They're praising God, singing Raise a Hallelujah in Ukrainian. Just beautiful. And I love that these people have made the conscious decision to stay behind to serve those who are there. They have been activated 
in the midst of darkness to be a light unto others, to share the love of Christ with those around them. Just so encouraged and, and stirred by them. Here is another important thing about Palm Sunday. You know, this day in the Jewish calendar was the day that families would go out and pick their lamb to be sacrificed for Passover. And if you don't know what Passover is, there is an excellent movie that I highly recommend. It's called Prince of Egypt. Yes, I know it's a kid's movie, okay? But it, 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 for a kid's movie, if they got Whitney Houston and Mariah Carey singing the title track, it's a good movie. It's a good movie. That song just... I'm really tempted to just, but you know what? That's not what I'm here for today. I'm here to, I'm here to, I'm here to speak, not sing. But um, you, if, and if you don't want to watch a kid's movie, you can just read the book of Exodus, okay? There's, there's that option for you. But in summary, okay, over a thousand years before the time of, of Jesus, the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt. And an Egyptian raised but a Hebrew-born man named Moses, he's called by God to speak with Pharaoh, he's the king of Egypt, and demanding that they let the Israelites go. So Pharaoh refuses. And so God sends a series of plagues throughout Egypt. And then in Exodus 12, God's justice is enacted in one final plague that would impact every firstborn, regardless of ethnicity. And so in order to be spared by this final plague, every family was required to sacrifice a perfect lamb, a lamb with no blemish or fault. They would have a feast, thanksgiving to God. They, and then with the blood of the lamb, they would paint their doorposts as a sign of faith. And those families who did that were spared by the final plague. And then following this, you know, the Egyptians, the, the Egyptians were like, well, get out of Egypt. And the Israelites were like, okay, and they left. And the Passover became a momentous commemoration of this incredible deliverance for Israel. And they still celebrate Passover to this day. In fact, we have the opportunity to celebrate it in, in life groups and in our homes this week. And there's links, there's a QR code you can scan for more information in the foyer. You can head to our church app for more information on how to, how to recreate this experience at home and how to watch the, the teaching video and all that. But what the people of Jerusalem didn't realise on Palm Sunday, did they didn't realise what they had done. The reason why Jesus had finally made known that He was the Messiah, the Saviour, the Son of God, was because they had inadvertently just picked their Passover lamb. This is so ironic. This is not something we read at first glance, but we can only discover when we dig a little deeper in the Scriptures. The people are heralding a King. They're crying out for salvation, crying out for Israel to be restored to her glory days. But that is not what Jesus entered Jerusalem for. They expected Jesus to be a new ruler of an earthly kingdom. But history teaches us time and time again that empires rise and fall. But the Kingdom of God is eternal. And the only way Jesus could allow us in, allow us to experience true freedom and liberty was to die so that we may live. And so rather than meet the expectations of an earthly king or ruler who would who'd ride in on a majestic golden steed, 
to demonstrate strength and power, here is King Jesus riding in on a baby donkey because He's about to be the sacrificial lamb of all sacrificial lambs. He was ushering in a kingdom that can never pass away. You know, in Revelation 5, 5 to 6, Jesus' disciple John, you know, one of the sons of thunder, he wrote Revelation and he says, Then one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. See the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David has triumphed. Then I saw a lamb looking as if it had been slain, standing at the center of the throne. John is told to look for a lion and on the throne is a lamb. Jesus is lion and lamb. He is mighty and completely humble. He is perfect justice and boundless in grace. He is sovereign and submitted to the Father. He is all sufficient, yet His entire trust and dependence is on God. If you wanna know what the majesty of Jesus looks like, look to the cross. If you want to know what our King looks like, look to the cross. He is the mighty King who rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. He's our King and our Saviour. Sinless and yet took on sin and death so that we may enter the kingdom with Him. He flipped the script. He broke cultural norms. He became the substitutionary sacrifice so that we no longer need to be moral beggars in search of good karma for a good life because now we live in the light of our good Saviour King who has destined each and every one of us for greatness beyond our comprehension. This is the kingdom He has established. Jesus has opened the door to your freedom, church. Will you walk in it? Will you follow Him, His Word and His way? Well, let's pray together. Lord God, we are completely humbled today by what you were staring down as you entered Jerusalem those years ago. The people heralded you in when it really was the beginning of the end of a new beginning. God, open our hearts over this next week. Open our hearts to your gospel. Open our hearts to your sacrifice. Open our hearts to your love, your mercy, your kindness. Thank you, Lord, for entering Jerusalem that day. Thank you, Lord, for stepping in our place and going and dying on the cross for us, Lord. If you're here this morning and maybe Jesus is not your King, He's not your Saviour, you don't know what it means to walk with Him, but you'd like to. You wanna leave your old life behind and follow after Jesus and the greatness He's calling you toward. I'd love to invite you just to put your hand up just so I know who I'm praying with while everyone's eyes are closed and heads bowed. 
You just put your hand up if you'd like to accept Jesus as your Lord and Saviour today. Come on, church, let's pray this together. Jesus, I give you my life. I'm a sinner and I need a Saviour. Save me. Amen. Come on, why don't you stand and we're going to continue singing. I encourage you, church, with the word that I've just spoken and and what we're about to sing. Open your hearts, lift up your hands. If you don't know why we raise our hands, it's it's similar to what they did on Palm Sunday. It was saying, save us, save us. It's a sign of surrender to God, a sign of honour to God. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.